What is going on, everybody? Welcome into How to Build a Business with Chandler Lyles. I am your host, Chandler Lyles, and today we're learning how to build an Etsy shop with Ryan Durbin. You know, Etsy's this credible, crazy platform. Like, I think it's like 3 million people in 2020 sold something on that platform. It's nuts. Uh, it makes sense because everybody's at home and they're starting to get back into their hobbies and art and all the things, and they're looking for a place to to sell that because hobbies are expensive. Everybody knows that. That's how I started my barbecue restaurant was as a hobby. And my wife got mad at me because I spent too much money on my hobby and that's that. Uh, today's episode is with my brand new friend, Ryan Durbin. Ryan and I have been connected on Instagram for a long time now. And the man knows pottery at a level that I just can't understand it. He's a master thrower. I, I know what that term is now. That's something that I didn't know. I wonder what information I lost because of that. Uh, and then Ryan is the, the proud owner of RD Ceramics. But the thing is, is that it's a side hustle for him. During the day, he's a web developer. And at night, when everyone's asleep, he's in his basement doing the thing. Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Chandler. Nice to chat with you finally and like meet digitally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of Instagram and a keyboard. So that's right. Nice yep. meet you. Yeah, man. Uh, so let's just jump into it. How in the world do you get into pottery? So it started, I think a lot of people start learning in like school or in grade school or whatever. They do those little projects in the hand building and you uh, kind of make something like an ashtray or whatever. So I started in high school in Louisville at uh, St. Xavier High School. And I think it was sophomore, junior year. You know, I had some interest in art. I started doing some 3D classes and then I saw there was a ceramics option offered. And I jumped into that one and there was, you know, hand building, you do those little projects and hand building class. And that's pretty much how it's focused. And then you see on the other side of the room, there's a few students over there like working on the pottery wheel because we only had like four or five. And you're like kind of interested in that. What's going on over there? And then I was able to like retake some ceramics and learn the wheel. And then after that, when I kind of get hooked on it and I want to make more because it's weird, like when you first when I first started, it was 45 minutes of class and you know like how dirty this process is just from seeing videos and stuff like we had 45 minutes to make this stuff and I'm like I need more time on the wheel so you kind of go after school or I think I was using my like study hall to go and like work in the studio and stuff like that so that's kind of where I got started and it was a lot of like self-guided stuff mm. because um, I just had the interest in it and then I was making outside of school during like winter break and summer break and you know that was that was kind of what interested me when I was still in high school and then went to college, decided on my major in IT, and then I minored in ceramics. And uh, that's kind of how I kind of got into it and just had that interest. And uh, I, I knew that I wanted to do it like longer term just from my interest level, but I, I wasn't confident and like secure enough in the, the, the business side of it, like mm. having that a full-time thing. So kind of decided to minor in college. Yeah, I what I like about that is I, I get asked all the time, uh, you know, how do you start a business? How do I know what business should I be in? What are the trends? What are the da, 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 all these things? And people are trying to get it right from the jump. And what I tell people all the time and what I ask them is like, what is your hobby? Like, what are you obsessed with doing all the time, no matter what? And I mean, yours started in high school on accident. It almost just sounds like you just sort of fell yeah. adjacent to it with the wheels being off to the side and for those that don't know a pottery wheel is the big what is that made of block or brick what is cement no i mean it's it's a lot of it's a lot of metal really yeah. it's a lot of metal and then there's like some hard rigid plastics that kind of hold it together and give you surfaces to clean off and stuff like that but it's a lot of metal yeah so it's it's the, the clay sits right on top of that it spins around and then you know sort of like the weird scene from ghost which i don't know if ghost yeah. jokes are allowed with a, <laughs> a master potter but uh, or a master thrower sorry see uh that's all right a lot of these but people yeah, like, don't know anything about pottery except ghosts so well and I, hey. I tell you i tell you what i love about you and why we became friends is that you crush content marketing on instagram and i'm a big content marketing guy i think it's really the only well way to grow and sell your products in 2021 and beyond um yeah. you guys have you, you have over 30,000 followers now like your instagram reels are fascinating to me there's this like i just binge scroll through that feed uh yeah. as i'm getting ready to go to sleep at night like it's just something like the ones where you oh, scrape nice. uh you got the call for everybody on the youtube channel right now he's got the coffee yeah. mug with like the little digs out of it yeah that's my yeah it's carved 
those are my favorite videos and like it's everybody else's too because it has like two hundred thousand views so it's crazy yeah how do you yeah. how do you approach you know before we get into like this kind of feels like a natural segue here you know before we get into etsy and selling stuff what is your philosophy around putting all this content out on instagram like why why do you do that so I kind of um, I kind of got that Gary V in my blood a little bit, I guess. <laughs> Are you in the you... school of Vaynerchuk as well? Yeah, yeah. So um, all that you know, put out as much content as possible, mm. make it interesting, make it valuable for your followers, so that you're giving more than you're taking. That kind of philosophy, and I always try to educate it, uh, educate people with my content, whether it's um, actually doing a long form video of demonstrating something where. You know, normally wouldn't be able to learn that unless they're in a class and they mm. are there in person and I can teach like 10 people that are immediately there. But with the Internet, you can just put it out there and everybody can know. So as well as I'm sure there's a lot of people that follow me that are customers and they don't know anything about pottery or they just enjoy buying stuff. And, you know, they might not have an interest in how it's made or doing it themselves. But, you know, they get to see the behind the scenes of actually how that spoon rest came to fruition that they have sitting on their counter in the kitchen or, you know, the mug or the carving and, you know, they just see the finished product, but they don't know all the steps that go into it. So I kind of go from that aspect and just try to keep it pretty honest, authentic and pretty unfiltered of like what, how much work goes into like prepping and, um, trying to yeah, make everything look so perfect. So yeah, yeah, I try to just do it very low low effort and just make sure that I have enough content kind of in the works of making sure I'm always taking photos. I'm always thinking of, you know, do I have videos coming up that I can demonstrate? Cause a lot of people will think, you know, what I'm working on and what I'm doing seems monotonous because I'm doing the same thing all the time, but people are fascinated you gotta by get that creative. stuff. Yeah. You gotta get creative with what you want to post and what you have to share. So, yeah. And I, I think there's something that came to mind there was that like there there's, there's two things we buy products for. It's it's either what the product does for us, you know, a pencil writes at its ba most basic level, right? We need we have a problem of I need to write something on this piece of paper. I bought this pen and now I can write the thing. And the other thing is is the the story around that object or service that we bought is something we get to tell other people, and it it sort of gives us extra clout or it makes yeah. us feel part of a tribe or something like that, and with your company as being an artist, a, a potter, you know, it is, it is all the story business because at the end of the day, there's hundreds of thousands of coffee mug options, right? Now, why am I going to yep. buy RD ceramics mug over another person's mug, right? Like target has thousands of those mugs, right? Right. It's the story I get to tell. Yeah, exactly. Plus I feel like if you're, if you're able to put all that content out about how it's made, it gives you more value in the piece that you bought. Like you pay 30 bucks for a mug, but you actually get mm. all this extra value because you get to see how it was made. And, you know, the process of me opening my kiln and seeing like the pieces mm. right there, on, like one of your pieces is right there on top that you bought. It's like pretty cool to, yeah, to see that all that prep work that goes in before you actually buy it. So I love that. So, so you're in that transition period going back a little bit here. You, you, you minor in ceramics in, in college and and then you you get a real job doing the web developer thing. How long until you started? Like, were you just making stuff on the side all the time? Like, how long did you until you started trying to sell it as well? Yeah, so I graduated from college in 2013. Um, so I'm almost 30 years old. And then I started selling in 2016. So in that time, I was kind of doing the transition thing. You know, my wife was in grad school, so we weren't married yet. We got married in 2015. So for a couple of years, I was just kind of, you know, I was living with my parents in Louisville and making stuff in their basement. I had the wheel. I had some of the shelving. And, you know, you kind of make do with a studio of what you can. And I was just throwing a bunch of stuff. You know, it wasn't looking very consistent, but I did have it. So I was kind of building up stock. And it turned out that, you know, you might sell once or twice or whatever between 2013 and 2015 or 2016 before I actually started selling. And then I started going to art shows. And all that stock of pottery that I was making for like a couple of years ended up coming out at the art show and you have it on display and it's funny to look back at those pictures and see what kind of work I was making and the inconsistencies of like the forms and the colors and all that stuff. So, um, that's kind of how I started selling. And then I just kind of ramped up from there and then, you know, we, we kind of got married and moved up here and, and then I started kind of building this studio in 
trying to think of when we moved in here, probably 2016 or something like that. So we've been here for about four years. Yeah, for the YouTube audience, Ryan's sitting in his uh, his pottery basement. Is, basement does it take studio. over the whole? It's, does the it's studio half take of the, the basement. Whole? It's half of the basement. So last year we actually built a wall across the the basement, splitting it in half because mm-hmm. obviously it's a basement, so it's very cold down. I mean, it's underneath the house, but yeah. basement and garage. So you know, it's it's more climate controlled in here now than it was a year ago. So it's it's actually nice to have a plus it's partitioned off so it's like hey this is my studio space as well as like the laundry's over here and then um we have the garage kind of stuff over there so hey you're like me you're like i need a little bit of space to myself i got a nice little office here where i do all my little content creation things for the show and it's it's my happy place um you know i i think you took a big step and I, I think if people aren't careful if they've never done it before they'll just glaze right by it you went from this is a thing i like to do and then you probably, when you were sitting with your buddies or even with your fiance now wife, like, like, oh, I think I might want to sell some stuff at some point in my life. Like, I want to sell, I want to make this a thing. Like, you do that dreamer thing where you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I could probably make that happen. Like, I could do that. Like, and I think that's a something that all of us do. We all dream about it. We all talk about it. And then there's a big jump between dreaming and talking, and then actually taking the action yeah. step and doing. And you started imperfectly, like you just said. You look back at those photos and like you're if you're not a little embarrassed about the work you did 10 years ago, you're probably not doing very good work now. You know what I mean? Right. And so what do you think, like, how did you take that first step from like, like, how did you bring it from dream to action? I mean, I think it naturally comes when your boxes of pottery are piling up and you're like, I need to get rid of this somehow. So, (laughs) I mean, no, I mean, we still have family that we give pottery to and, and it's become now my wife and I'll, say like hey can we i'll say can we give them something pottery related because it's gonna like the quality's getting better year over year and then it just feels like an easy out because i'm giving them pottery because i'm a <laughs> potter it's like it's like they would enjoy this mm-hmm. it's like come on and then uh so naturally you kind of give stuff away and then you're like you know what let's try selling it and and then you got to go the route of finding places to sell it and I think I always had that in the back of my mind. I don't know when it was there of when I wanted to say, like, I want to do this full time someday. It was probably sometime after. I mean, it probably factored into when I was like in college and decided to do the minor, you know, because I was like, you know, security wise, I want to do the IT because it's it's in demand and good paying and stuff like that. And then I minored in ceramics or maybe I was just minoring because I I had a big interest about it, just staying in the studio and making a bunch of stuff. So, um yeah, I think it was always kind of in the back of my mind, but naturally stuff piles up. You got to get rid of it somehow. So you either donate it or you sell it or you, you know, give it to family and friends. And there's only so many people that you can give it to. And selling is kind of the next natural progression there. Just in my head, I see the story playing out. Somebody opens this present on Christmas and is like, like in my family, we do this cheesy thing where everybody shakes the present and then like puts it on their forehead and tries to like, you know, guess what's guess in what there. Guess what it is. Yeah. And I would just every time I got something from Ryan, I would just be like, "Oh, I wonder what it is." Spoon holder. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, they're not going to complain when it's when it's selling for a thousand dollars a piece here in a few years. You know what I mean? That's that's my mentality. You you got some early Van Gogh type things. That's how they should be thinking about it. Not yeah, not yeah. And I'm sure, they appreciate it. And if they didn't, they're probably not going to say something. But it's like it's whatever. <laughs> I mean, they got it. They can do whatever they want with it. I don't care. <laughs> I love that. So, so when did you, so you're doing kind of the farmer market thing, the art show thing, all the things that are sort of in person. Um, and probably all the while you're just the natural outset of that is that you're also doing the thing on, um, on Instagram. So you're, you're building all this momentum up. How did you start your Etsy store? So I think that started in, man, some of the first pieces were probably in 2016 or something like that, where, you take some some pieces that you think are the top quality of what you would take to a show and you photograph those and you list them and then crickets i mean it probably took three months for my first thing to sell but Mm. in that state you don't have a lot of online presence so if you're not it's just a numbers game at that point you know do you have enough people coming to your shop and then how many of those people convert and actually buy stuff Mm -hmm. and is the stuff that's on there like good quality that's going to appeal to somebody. So there is kind of a a certain market that you have to think about with what is worthy of selling online and what is conveyed well online versus something that's easier to buy in person and something that you really have to like see and feel in person. Um, 
So that kind of factors into it, but I probably started the Etsy in 2016 and I didn't really put a ton of effort until like 2020 was my best year by far. But yeah, I would say 20, probably 2019 was the the year that I actually like started getting semi-regular sales on there. Mm -hmm. So it takes a while, but you have to put work into it, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's anything in life, right? Like it starts slow and then you build momentum over time and you catch some lucky breaks, but because your your system's already in place, you're able to capitalize on those lucky breaks, you know. So so many people want to like go viral or do something crazy like I don't even know, get on the Today show or something and get all this attention and then they don't have the back-end systems in place and the sales processes in place and all the things like uh, my example is like you don't want to strike out. You you don't want your first baseball at bat in the pros to be in the World Series. Like I'd like to strike out in the minor leagues before I have to get into the World Series. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. So so you made that shift in 2019. You really started driving more traffic to your store. I like that you said that. Like, what do you do to drive more traffic to your Etsy store? I think following other potters and whatnot, you you get a sense of they are building up stock. A lot of people kind of making batches so they build up and they make a lot of work for like a month and then at the end of that month they have a restock so that's kind of like a way to build hype mm. toward an end goal of restocking 30 to 40 to 50 pieces online or some i mean some people rely on this is the only way that they sell and they post like 300 pieces in a month and they sell out in five minutes i mean that's that's a reality for some people it's very rare but mm. they have that back-end audience and momentum to have the demand for that stuff. So, um, it's a lot of, you know, posting regularly and calling out, you know, a couple weeks before, like right now I'm kind of doing it on my Instagram every now and then I've got spoon rest that I've been making like crazy. So if you've been watching my stories at all, I've been making them in the studio. You see me throwing a ton, you see shelves or boards filled with spoon rests and I'm firing a bunch and I'm unloading them out of the kiln. And then I'm posting spoon rests on my posts every now and then. And, um, I'm kind of building that toward a goal of when I'm going to restock them and I'm going to have a ton in stock. And then it's the, one of the like first times that I've actually started selling them online. So it's just a, you kind of have to have a, a goal in mind at a certain point in time. That's not like too far in the future, but something that you're kind of, kind of putting hints out yeah. there over time so that you're not just like, I'm going to list something tomorrow. And then like nobody buys anything because they don't know about it. Well, you're building brand with Instagram. Here's the tacticalness behind this. This is what I'm seeing uh, from my, my putting on my marketing hat for a second, taking off this barbecue hat. Uh, you're building awareness through content marketing on Instagram, posting frequently, posting reels, or not back then, posting reels. That's a new thing. But like you're you're using the platform and you're giving away stuff for free, infor, uh, information for free, entertainment for free, all the free things on Instagram. And then you're combining that that give, which is uh, I talk about this all the time. Reciprocity is like the biggest driver of of goodwill in business. And when you give away free content like that, you're triggering that reciprocity. And then you're combining that kind of brilliantly, and maybe you just did it on accident, like with with sort of scarcity, which is yeah. also amazing. Like you're like, hey, we got a hundred spoon holders, and we got a hundred sweet dugout coffee mugs. What are those coffee mugs called, by the way? Like, what is I just the actual them, name? I just call them carved coffee carved. mugs. But carved the, mugs. the technique is technically called scraffito, okay, which translates to to scratch. So, ah, got it. The technique is called scraffito. So I got my scraffito mug here. I got a hundred of them in blue. If you want to buy it, it's a, you're like the supreme. But more realistically, it's like I've got four of them. I got four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, get it while you can. I love that. Uh, you're like the supreme of potters, the supreme potter. <laughs> I just don't want to spend an entire month making a hundred mugs that are carved. Like that just sounds yeah. terrible to me. But yeah. I mean, I'll I'll increase the stock over time. But yeah, I'm. Do you think you're slow. still in that phase between? I love being an artist and I'm trying to be a businessman as well. Oh, I definitely always approach it from a business aspect. That that's always. Maybe that came out wrong. I always, the business is always in my mind of, I need to be spending my time doing something mm. that I enjoy that is going to sell. Like mm -hmm. I have a finite amount of time doing this on the side. So whatever I'm making, it needs to be something that is going to be sellable in the end mm -hmm. because otherwise I'm, I have, I mean, I have a shelf over there with a whole bunch of like small cat dishes that I've had sitting there unglazed for like two years because I didn't sell. So if I have things that I make that I spend time on, 
that's just wasted time because it doesn't sell, you know. Wait, what are the, their cat dishes? Like food and They're like water little dishes? shallow dishes that are kind of like volcano shaped. Yeah. And they're only like an inch and a half deep. Because I have cats, so I made them. I made probably like 30 of them. And you I gotta you gotta it. find like massive cat influencers and just DM them and say, Hey, can I send these to you? And then see what they say. So that's the move. <laughs> you gotta get those out of the basement, man. That's just dead inventory. Stop liquidate. Mean, yeah, they're just they're just sitting over there on the back of the shelf, so I can't you're, see them, but you're like channeling. But I know is, they're there. I came on for a podcast interview. I didn't come on for marketing advice. I'm sorry. I can't I can't help myself. <laughs> it's, it's my curse and my gift. I all so, at the same time. So yeah, everything that I'm making has to be with the business in mind that I can sell it and I love that. I mean, naturally, I want, the end goal is to do this full time someday. So mm-hmm. the way to do that is to narrow the gap between how much I'm making in the pottery business and how much I make in my salary job mm-hmm. and narrow that gap over time. So selling more stuff and being more efficient with my time is going to narrow that gap. So simple. I love it. Are you a are you still like doing this solo or do you have a team? I know your wife, like I'm sure she helps, it's, but. Yeah, my wife helps at shows and stuff. I do pay a couple assistants to help me out probably like five hours a week or so. And they're they're doing some of the, I want to say like grunt work, but they're doing some of the work that helps me just mm-hmm. be more efficient. And one thing would be everything that I make has to be thrown with clay. Clay that I work with has to weigh a certain amount because if I'm throwing a mug, it's generally going to be one pound of clay. And I want a whole bucket of 50 balls in one pound increments. So... You know, one thing that they do is cut up clay and they like get it into the ball form and put it in a bucket for me so that it's stored, it's ready to go. And then when I'm ready to make, it's ready to go for me. So my time is used the most efficiently and I'm not doing tasks that eat up a lot of my time. It's not worth my I love this. This is like you're building on that. I'm putting the business first mentality because if you were like, like I'm only going the artist way, which is I do everything myself, everything by hand, everything painstaking. Uh, I'm, I'm even dividing out one pound clay balls like that is not a businessman that is a that is a, I mean that's borderline a hobbyist and an artist and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want but if you're going to have the ambition to say I want to run a business one day like it's smart to start bringing people on and like building it I mean you're building a team at this point basically yeah and I've I've kind of had those thoughts about what I'm willing to have them help with mm-hmm. because there's certain parts that'll go into like they don't throw any of my stuff but if they were to throw something, I would feel a little icky putting my initial on the bottom if they threw yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for you over the next couple of years. Cause uh, I just am having flashbacks to my mom when we were in the tent on the side of the road selling barbecue and like we were doing okay, but we made everything ourselves and everything that you ate came from a Lyle's family member. And there was a big shift between uh, what is Lyle's barbecue and then what is like what is made by the Lyles family, you know what I mean? So it'll be interesting to see where you land. And I don't think there's a right answer here. I think it's just a matter of what you want to build, why you want to build it, what scale you want to get to, all those things. With like food, it's hard to compare this taste of this macaroni and cheese that I had like two years ago versus the taste of this macaroni and cheese I'm having today because there's no immediate – like if you're looking at a finished piece, you can hold the pieces right side by side and see the differences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And food also tastes different to every to each person, maybe. Yeah, so for sure, it's a little bit. Yeah, I love and it. And I don't know if following a recipe is like something that's easily teachable versus doing something that you can like do a technique and see what the end result looks like. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little uh, different. But yeah, I'm gonna let it go. I I I have my opinion on this, but I don't, <laughs> we'll we'll save that for the second. We'll do this in a, in a year. We'll have a follow up and uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll see. So <laughs> when you do get those, when you get these these pieces of art to the customers like you know i'm sure most people love it and they're very satisfied but like how do you how do you approach customer service in an etsy business so you get um you get some customers that may be dissatisfied where you know something might not turn out exactly like they hope a lot of it in 2020 was i shipped the most pieces that i've ever shipped before and you kind of get at scale how to pack stuff efficiently without breaking it because I broke a lot of stuff this year and or last year and you kind of have to approach it with you know you can either try to do the whole like claim it with USPS and get the money back and or like if you have the stock and you can afford to give them a replacement piece that's kind of what I approach it as so I you know immediately say I'm sorry Uh, you know I packed it and you know some of the packaging was suspect or whatever normally they'll like take photos of it and show that it was packaged 
And uh, that's kind of how I approach it. I'll generally like replace the item for now mm-hmm. while I'm doing this on the side. And it's not such a, it's not killing my income by giving a piece away mm-hmm. at this point. It might change down the road, but, um, but I think, yeah, definitely keeping the customer in mind and trying to like satisfy them within boundaries of, you know, they show me something that's broken and it's, it, it's not what they expected. It's not what they paid for. And I covered the shipping back to them because it was my fault that it broke in transit. And what are your boundaries? How do you, how do you, how did you establish boundaries for your customer service program? I mean, some of that's like making sure they send you a photo of it versus just saying something or, you know, I might've had a custom order that I made for somebody and three months down the road, they broke the handle because they bumped it on something like there. I will tell them, Hey, I'm happy to make you another mug. It's going to cost you this much to replace it because they willingly like told me that they broke it and knocked it on something. It's more like if it breaks in transit, Mm -hmm. then that's kind of on me. Yeah. They open and it's broken. But once I start using it, it's kind of one of those, you just have to educate them like, Hey, this is still a fragile thing. It's handmade. Mm -hmm. It is prone to bumping and breaking if you drop it or put it into a sink and it slips out of your hand or something like that. It's still breakable. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and, and, and along those lines, like you're, you're sort of attracting a certain type of customer with, with price points on things like somebody that breaks something from a target mug is going to be a different type of customer than a, in, in a certain way than somebody that's going on to Etsy and looking for like really craft, um, craft products like you guys are making at, at your company. Like, how do you, how do you price out your stuff that goes on Etsy? How do you, how do you determine pricing for Etsy products? I actually price it the same as if I was selling it in person, but I'm kind of, this year I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit different because of how much I sold last year with the pieces that are on there. So for instance, my shot glasses, they're, they were $7 last year Mm -hmm. when I'm comparing that with other ones listed in the shot glass category. And I'm actually like bubbled up to the top of that category if people are looking for ceramic shot glasses, they're going to see me in the top six results on Etsy. And part of that that's glaringly obvious is my price is way lower than the competitors there. And then the Mm -hmm. quality I feel like is nice. So, um, the pricing this year is going to go up a little bit and I've, I think I naturally have to kind of go up as I'm selling more stuff. I can't keep up with the demand as much. And as I list more items on Etsy and they sell, that's fewer things that I can take to a show and sell. So yeah, it's a balance. And you know, a lot of the shot glasses that I sold last year were in California. What's mm-hmm. $7 in California versus $7 here in Northern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, you know, people were buying four of them at a time, mm-hmm. you know, whereas at a show I would very rarely sell four at a time. Mm-hmm. So interesting. What I, what I can't what, keep what up I'm, with the quantity, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. And, I think you're self-aware, which is important. And then also like it's the, it's the theme of, of studying best practices. You and I talked a little bit about that before we jumped on the show here. And I, I think it's wise to, especially in the beginning and while you're building a side hustle, like with, with Lyle's barbecue, we were looking constantly at what are other catering companies doing? What are other people doing with their marketing strategies? How are other people pricing their products? Like what is what is our customer service experience when we go to barbecue restaurants like we got really into the world of barbecue and barbecue catering and barbecue restaurants and that's what it sounds like you're doing is that like a you were passionate about the the ceramics world so you were in it already as a hobbyist and then as you became a professional in it you said okay what is everybody else in this world doing are you doing that cognizantly every day or do you think it's just because you kind of do it on accident yeah it's not really an everyday thing but i I do follow a lot of other Instagram people that are in clay and I talk with them about their business and I talk with, uh, you know, Becca on the, uh, we'll talk podcast about a lot of process stuff and pricing is a factor there. And, and then also just locally, I go to these art shows and I talk to a lot of the other potters there. I know a lot of the other potters there because we're in the same sphere. Um, I'm actually the president of a local clay guild here in Cincinnati and I know a lot of potters through that. And a lot of the people that I see at the art shows are in that guild. And like, so we're all kind of in a community and we share mm-hmm. things. And, you know, there's certain people that you're comfortable like talking with about their pricing or how they sold that day or, you know, what sold or, and you can see how they're pricing stuff. And I yeah. think it's more community in that aspect, at least mm. here to me in Cincinnati versus like competition. So yeah. 
you can kind of mm. share and glean things off of each other and community over competition. That is, that is a good framework to build your business with, because here's the thing. The pie is not limited. The market share, the market size is not limited. If we make pottery more popular, we all get to sell more pottery. It all works out for everybody in the end. I, right. I, I love that. I think that's a good mentality, man. And I think, I think people learn that. The people that stay in business long-term learn that pretty quickly. Uh, the people that end up going out of business are sort of on their own isolated island over here, and, and, and they never really understand community over competition. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what are your – now that you've been on Etsy for a couple of years, and you know, you've been taking it really seriously for especially the last two, what are your three biggest tips for people that are starting Etsy businesses in 2021? Uh, so one, one benefit that I've had is when I, when I've had the best results with things that like frequently sell, and I've kind of noticed this recently is that you have things that you can list in multiple quantities so that it stays on Etsy longer. That could help you get discovered by customers on Etsy more frequently. So like for instance, the shot glasses, I keep the same photos, the same listing. I just change the quantities of the different colors that I offer mm -hmm. and it lives longer on Etsy. It becomes, you get that kind of bestseller tag on that listing so that it shows that a lot of people are buying it. And then when people buy it and they review it, it just gives you more content about that item. So that's nice to do that. I've kind of discovered. So if you are making pieces in multiples and you can list it as a single listing and just change the quantities that's good because it helps with your i think discoverability and then it like legitimizes that that thing mm -hmm. you're selling better um back to that theme of else. driving traffic to the site driving, yeah yeah more impressions yep smart yeah i try to also just use all of the tags available that you mm -hmm. or keyword i can't remember what they call it tags or keywords but i think it's keywords and Maybe it's tags and uh, just things that people can search on to find your stuff, whether it's, you know, if it's the shot glasses, I put shot glasses, I put ceramic shot glasses, I put um, toothpick holders. Some people search for toothpick holders, but it could double as, a you know, the shot glass could double as that. And then I put things like RD ceramics or handmade pottery or something like that mm -hmm. so that it's relevant to what I'm selling. And then it uses all I think 13 is what you're limited to that you could do and make it more specific than just saying clay or paint or whatever so that it's not so general because that pool of people that are searching for clay is going to be huge just like on instagram with how you pick hashtags if you pick a hashtag that's hashtag clay there's going to be millions of people using that hashtag if you're on etsy and you're putting clay you're going to get tons of results so you kind of want to narrow in what your keywords are so that when people are searching for ceramic shot glass I, yeah, I bubble up there to the top. They call that long tail um, SEO, search engine optimization. I mean, at the end of the day, Etsy is a miniature search engine. It's not that miniature. It's got millions of users. Um, when you're like, I need a ceramic, uh, ceramic coffee mug. Yeah, you know, twenty four ounces. Like those. Are, that's a very specific long thing. And the word clay. I mean, that technically is a clay thing, but it's not. The user but people aren't searching for clay clay mug, yeah. but they might be. But, but yeah, just think about what people are naturally going to search for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it at the end of the day, the best marketing strategy, the best way to do anything in this life is to take yourself out of your shoes and put yourself in your customer's shoes. If I was a customer on Etsy and I'm searching for coffee mugs, right? I have a problem. I need some cool way to hold my coffee that makes me look cool and interesting so that I can tell all my friends about my Etsy coffee mug. Like, what does that person act like? What do they do? What do they search for? Ask those questions yeah. and then better be able to answer them without a 45 minute delay. Like you should know that boom, boom, right. boom, like right off the top of the head. Um, and I think that that's something a lot of, a lot of new business owners miss is it's not about you. It's about the customer. Right. Like they have a hundred different places to buy coffee mugs. Uh, when I was in the barbecue business, they had a hundred, you know, Subway sold pulled pork sandwiches while I was in business. I didn't know that. I haven't yeah. eaten Subway in a long time. Yeah. That's just disgusting at a whole nother level. So like there goes our future Subway sponsorship, but I stand by this hot <laughs> take. I stand by it. Uh, I love those tips, man. So what do you think, you know, I'm sure you've made a lot of mistakes as a 
business owner and as Etsy shop owner, like what is the biggest mistake that if you could go back and take it away and learn the lesson still, what would that be? Biggest mistake. I mean, some, some of it you can't plan for. You kind of got to go through it where you, mm-hmm. you pick a show that you think is going to be good and you pay 150 bucks to do this show. And then you, you know, you barely make your booth feedback and you feel like you wasted time. But I mean, you kind of got to go through that to get, get a feeling like why wasn't it the best fit? Was it the customer base that was there? Was it, um, the other vendors around me of like what people came to the show to see? Did I just not fit in with that vibe of the market mm-hmm. that was there? I'm just take take us it. through that though. Like you're in that booth and, and I, I know this pain. So that's why I want you to talk about it. You're sitting in your tent on the side of the road or the side of the, the aisle or whatever it is. And like, yeah. nobody's coming up. Maybe somebody's looking at you funny. Uh, what what yeah. does that feel like for you on the inside as a creator? Is that hard? For me, I, I don't think so. I mean, I put myself in that position because I chose that show. And mm. one thing that you can do to, I mean, in the moment, it feels kind of crappy. And you're like, I'll do the best I can, you know, interact positively with the people that are there. Don't let, don't let previous sales, like, get you down for, you need to be, you need to be there in the moment and, like, be prepared to, mm. to do your job and, like, sell and, be the best um, spokesperson for your business right there. You can't like have the day put you down because yesterday was terrible. So I think you kind of have to rise to that and, you know, interact positively with the customers that are coming and just, you know, I feel like you don't have, don't put yourself in the thing of like expecting a sale. You got to kind of just feel it out. And if they buy something cool, if they don't, then it is what it is. You can't like blame the customer for not buying something from you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're looking so at it like, what did I do? Like I put myself at this show. Maybe I set my booth up the wrong way. Maybe I'm priced the wrong way. Maybe I brought the wrong material. The wrong Maybe items. I brought the wrong items. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, and I think again, putting yourself in the customer's shoes, you're going, okay, what did I do to cause this to happen? I, you know, one of my favorite books that I've read in the last couple of years is Jocko Willink's uh, extreme ownership. And if you haven't read that, you should definitely read it. It's, it's incredible uh, analogy, and I'm a former military guy, so it resonated with me at least. But, like, it's all about what did you do to make this happen? Yeah. What and if you you're in a ne- if you're in a negative mood there behind the table, well, what kind of customer wants to interact with somebody that's in a negative mood? It's just wow. going to drop yeah. you down further, and your sales mm-hmm. are going to reflect it if if you're in a bad mood. You know, death spiral. Like you're going, and it, it works the other way too. It, 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 in a weird way, it works the other way, uh, it just as well. Because if you if you if you're only going to get ten customers in a day, like let's say that's all that was available at that show for you to get, and the first one you interact with is a negative experience that takes you down, and maybe you get lucky and get the second experience and that takes you down even further, and then you just snowball mentally into this really terrible place, versus doing it the other way, which is like, you know what? I'm just grateful I got at least one customer here. Like maybe this wasn't the right show. Maybe I brought the wrong stuff. But like you said, I'm going to make the best out of this current opportunity that I can. And then it works out. And then the second one builds more momentum. And then like at the end of the day, it still is a crappy show. You only sold 10 people. But I would much rather sell 10 people than piss off two and then not even get to talk to the other eight. Right. And one of those experiences was at a at an art show. You have like a six foot table. You know, you're limited on how much you can bring. And it was probably I probably sold like a couple hundred bucks that day. So I made like my booth feedback and stuff like that. But you know what came out of it was one customer came up and they really liked my stuff. And then they were interested in buying a set of things down the road. And they got like a custom order of something. And we agreed on a price there. And they were all of a sudden they were buying a chip and dip like bowl, like a big bowl with a a dip holder in the middle and it was like 75 bucks a pop and she bought like five of them. Mm-hmm. So we're a $200 day turned into a custom order for five chip and dip bowls throughout the rest of the year was like great. Wait, is so, she just breaking chip and bo- chip and dip bowls on left and right? No, or what? she was, she was buying them as gifts for wedding okay. presents. She I had a that. bunch of weddings that year. So she was buying handmade chip and dip bowls cause she makes guacamole. So she was like putting guacamole recipe with the chip mm-hmm. and dip bowl. So, Got it. In, a, in an Instagram, what I'm taking from this is an Instagram world, in a social media world where we all have likes and hearts and all the things, and we see the metrics and like impressions, and it's like, you know, why can't I be a Kardashian? Here's the thing: it doesn't. You don't. You can run a very successful business. You can have a very great life, not reaching millions and millions and millions of people. Like you just need the right people to show up at the right time, and then you execute on this chips and dip. I guarantee you, if we could actually chase that down 
there's more business that's come to you from that one little transaction than just those chips and dip thing too. Cause everybody yeah. that sees them now that story, that story spreads, you know? Yeah. It was eat. funny. There was like one of those receivers of the chip and dip bowl came and saw me at a show and they saw my work and they were like, I recognize your work. I think my, I think our aunt or something gave us one of your chip and dip bowls for our wedding yes. that we just yes. had. <laughs> I love so this. This kind of yeah. full circle. Yeah. Per, and then like, but it, but then it, this is how momentum is built. It happens again and again and again and again and again and again. And you just keep showing up. You've been doing this since 2016. You've just been showing up with discipline consistency since 2016. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're starting to get some momentum. And, like, you're just starting. Like, you're still working your full-time job. Right. Exactly. I love it. So you get all this this product sold. You're, you're moving things. Uh, and, and this beautiful thing happens. People give you cash or they swipe a card for the thing right. that you made. And now you have extra money in your bank account that you did not have before you showed up. Not every show is bad. I know we've been on that for a couple of minutes, but like yeah, that's the man's in business show. for a long time. He's doing well. How do you manage cash flow with an Etsy business? So, um, the cash that I make from sales, just, I don't actually pay myself anything. So that just stays in a pot on its own. I just have one pot of money that's business money and I use it for my expenses. And I, when I sell stuff, it goes back in that pot. So, um, I have plenty to manage the, the expenses that I have. Um, and yeah, I have, I mean, I have no problems thinking about like, Oh, what am I going to, you know, does my, does my kiln have problems and I need to buy some stuff to replace the elements or, mm. you know, am I ready to like upgrade certain equipment? Do I have the cash to do that or do I not? So, um, yeah, I'm definitely, you know, everything that I sell in the business is going back into the business and then I can use that cash um, mm. with no debt or anything to to upgrade the business as I go. So open a new bank account, separate your crap out, be a professional. Yeah, you can't keep track of that. And um, I'm sure there's programs like QuickBooks and stuff like that that'll dig into those accounts and like figure out what those expenses are and separate or kind of like give you a high level of like what you're spending and what you're making and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely separate bank account. For tax reasons, at the end of the year, you just saying whatever's left in that account is basically what you made from that business. Is that how that ends up? Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm very detailed with it, so I keep all of my records in like a Google Sheet, okay. and I got it. It's very systematic, yeah, yeah. systematic with how I keep track of my expenses yep. and income and stuff like that. So yeah, I think you, like whether it's a Google Sheet or you know we used QuickBooks back in the day. Like you need some form of accounting, uh, for sure. Yeah, you need to know you have to do to it know consistently. Your yeah. Do it consistently. Every day. Don't pile it up like and do okay, I'm gonna do it at the end of this month. You gotta yep. do it like daily. I had a I had a bookkeeping friend that was helping me out, like teaching me how to do small business bookkeeping, and I brought him a whole bunch of receipts one time. And like this was luckily when we were just in the tent on the side of the road, so it was a very small, like sub one hundred thousand dollar revenue business and like it's 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 ten percent margin, so we were making nothing. And we had all these receipts that collected over the course of a year. And I give him this box and he looks at me and he goes, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's the receipts. Like, this is what we do. Now it's like time to go back and and acknowledge all the receipts and put them in the right buckets. And like, I don't have to go to IRS jail. And he goes, he goes, if you ever do this again, I will punch you in the face. Like, he's like literally so mad at me. And in the lesson versus and not just like, don't get punched in the face. Like, I avoid pain at all costs, generally life advice it's <laughs> if you do it a little along every single day it's easy to maintain and like after that every day i would spend 10 15 minutes just type it in type it in type it in and you're done yep you know so he was expecting you to just bring a list of different categories and just give them numbers he yeah he thought we were going to be going over um we were using quickbooks online at the time which i really like that platform now i've not done it in a while so i don't know if it's still the best but back then it was great for I'd go in, we'd log into my account on his computer, and he thought we were just going to go through all the receipts I'd already, I'd already typed in, and mm -hmm. I'd basically not been doing that at all. And so I didn't oh. come with like four or five documents. I came with much more work. And he was like, "You can't afford me for to do this for you, so you need to go handle this right. ish on your own and be a <laughs> be a professional." And it was it was a tough right. lesson in the Am I an amateur? Or am I a professional? Like that's. It yeah. was a big, it was a big milestone to overcome and it was painful and it was embarrassing. And I, you know, like you, like everybody, I got lucky. I don't know. I, I survived it <laughs> at the point. Um, 
So I kind of want to like, I want to talk about some of the benefits and then the, the cons of owning your own business now. Like, what do you love the most about owning your own thing? Even though you're not doing it full time, like, and you're working way more now than you ever have in your life. What do you love about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I like just having the freedom to decide what I want to make. You know, I had, we had a date night last night. I came down to the studio after uh, we got back and I was like, okay, I got a couple hours. What do I want to make? And I can decide what to make and what I feel like making. I'm not forced into, I had this order that I have to make 600 mugs and that's all I'm doing until I finish those 600 mugs. It's, I can make what I want to make when I want to make it. And, you know, only choosing to, to dedicate that time to make things that I like making too. So, um, yeah, that's probably the biggest pro and it, it's very flexible to the time that I have available. So I mean, it's pretty much any free time I have I'm making as long as I don't, you know, upset the wife. But um, well, I was going to ask you about that. How how is balancing family with your this? I mean, to be flat out, a small business that's a side hustle is basically another family. It's like having this little baby yeah. in your house that if you're not constantly nurturing it and taking care of it, yeah. it's easily the thing I underestimated the most was how much time and effort was going to take to get something as a side hustle off the ground. Yeah. I mean, it's a second full time job and then you're you've got the, the family and all the other obligations too. So, um, luckily my wife's pretty independent and she likes her alone time. So it kind of balances that way. But when she'll ask, you know, Hey, can we go on a date night or something like that? Then I can, I don't have to say, no, I have to do this. Hmm. And you just got to kind of de decide that those date nights, even though it may seem insignificant, one date night, in a month or something, it's still beneficial and you need to put time and focus into doing that over saying, Oh, one night in the studio is going to get me so much more ahead. Mm. You know? Yeah. So you have uh, to, it, you have to it's, prioritize. It's back to the, uh, it's back to that example we just talked about with the recognizing or, or reconciling your receipts. If you invest in your family a little bit along the way every week and you invest in your in your business a little bit along the way, during the week and the months and the years, those that's the best strategy for success. If you just try to do these crazy sprints all the time where I'm like, I'm a hundred hours in the studio building my business, making this 600, you know, coffee mug order, da, 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 da. Like, and then like you completely shun your family. Like you might be able to do that once, maybe twice, but like yeah. our wives, man, like you're not going to keep getting away with that. Like that's gonna, that's gonna end up, I mean, it's great for your business. But like you're gonna lose your family, and, and unfortunately, we've seen that a ton in the startup world. Yeah, it's it's something yeah. to to keep top of mind for sure. Yeah, what do you what do you think is the worst thing? I know it's your passion and your your hobby, so it doesn't have to be like some big giant dramatic thing. But like, the what's the thing, thing that bugs you the most about owning your own business? Ooh, um, for me, since I'm kind of I'm pretty business minded with it. I worry about the time when my shelves are going to be empty and I'm not going to have the things ready to go to deliver. Mm. And I'm not going to keep up the pace with the demand. That's what like worries me. Mm. So I, I think it's naturally getting to that point with the whole side hustle versus full-time job. And mm -hmm. it's going to get to that point where if I keep growing, with the social media and the Etsy shop and selling at shows, I'm going to naturally sell more over time unless I just increase my prices more and more. So that's kind of my fear of do I have enough stock ready to go to yeah. meet that demand? And yeah, that may it's seem like, like a weird, like negative, but that's in my no. mind. Like I'm so far ahead planning stuff that I want to meet that demand and be prepared for it. It doesn't come off as a weird thing to me. It makes sense. You're, 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 you're the worst thing about to you. The worst thing about owning a business is like, can I keep up with growing this business to the level of what I want to grow yeah. to, you know, and have I overcommitted too much? And yeah, I mean, it, 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 you'd, you'd be, I mean, you're probably not flabbergasted, but you would be, the people that are listening would be shocked at how many people start a business and never even think about that. And then they just like a year and a half later have this monster. That's not even that big. They just don't have great systems in place yet to, keeps things stocked on the shelf like you were talking about um and then they just they they burn out because they're just running around keeping a thousand balls in the air and they never and then they about... have to react to mm -hmm. the demand rather than yeah um making 
with that, that in mind. Yeah. What do you think your biggest key to success is? Like, why are you, why, I mean, you've been in business for four years now going on five, like that, that's a big milestone. What do you think the biggest contributor to that is? I think it's just consistency. I mean, you have to, you know, I'm, I'm in the studio four or five days a week. I'm, you know, I pro- I'm probably in the studio for 30 to 40 hours a week. And that's a full-time job in and of itself. And you have to be consistent. You have to be in here on a Tuesday night and making stuff when other people might be just sitting on the couch watching Netflix. Um, consistency and like discipline, like we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. And same thing with, you know, making sure you continually post on Instagram and uh, keep things uh, stocked online when you can. And Hmm. Um, yeah, consistently doing it Has for a long been a time where you struggle with consistency in your business. Um, I mean, I'll get to the point sometimes where I'm looking at my camera roll at like, what do I, what am I going to post? Cause usually I'm not planning out like weeks in advance and like a week in advance of what I'm going to post. But sometimes I'll get in there and be like, Oh, I, I don't know that I have a video ready or something ready to go. And I, you know, you kind of dig in there and you find something that's postable or you just don't post at all because it's like, Oh, it's not good enough quality of what I want to put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, not that every post has to top the last post, but, um, be nice yeah, that's, kinda, that's yeah, that would be nice. Um, that's the only like inconsistency I would say, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, there's so many balls in the air of different commitments that I have and, you know, Sometimes I have to ramp up some of those commitments every now and then, mm-hmm. and then it takes away time from other things. Like mm-hmm. if we're doing a house project, that's going to take time away from pottery and the business side that, Investing you know, in that I, I do want to improve the, the, the family um, side of it in the house. And my wife really, really enjoys the house projects and the improvements and things like that. So I can't just say, Hey, why can't you be fine with how we have the house right now? Because it's totally fine because I'm like a minimalist. I'm like, I don't need that much. But, and then she's like, no, like that's what I want to do. And that's mm-hmm. what I want to plan for. So mm-hmm. I just have to kind of figure out and balance it with what time I have available and when's the right time of year to do it based on my time commitments and the shows going on in the summer and, you know, figure out when it works for us. So, yeah, I, I investing in all the things, man, all the family, all the business, all the work day job. You gotta do it all. You gotta do it all. What is the uh what is the one thing you're like trying to improve right now about either yourself or your business? Like what do you not struggling might not be the right word, but needs mm-hmm. improvement to grow. Uh, I think I'm trying I'm kinda actively I've been making a ton of stuff lately, but I'm trying to see I'm trying to find the I'm tr- can you ask a question one more time? Yeah, like what is what is something you're um, actively improving. what is something that's holding you back from growing the business right now? Like what are you trying to improve so that the business gets better? I would say making the right things at the right time. Mm. Because I I mean, I always kind of was talking about making sure I have enough stuff on the shelf and making so that I can fulfill that demand and the thing that's going to hold me back is when there's demand for something that I can't, I can't make enough. So I'm kind of actively growing some of this thing on the side and then kind of getting rid of certain forms that aren't selling as well. So I kind of got to be fine with sunsetting certain things mm-hmm. and spend more time on other things and, yeah. and then figuring out where I can delegate some of yeah. those tasks that will help me be more efficient. You know, it's interesting just hearing about, you know, it's the first time we've really talked about your business at all. Like, it, it seems to me like, based on the what we, the conversation we had earlier with, like, you really want to be the one that puts the, the real touches on the art that you're selling. Um, it does just feel like a it's a raising price situation because that's going to solve a lot of your, your right. inventory issues. But the thing is, is that when you do, and this is not me preaching at you, this is more like talking to the listeners now, like, when you do raise your price, where you don't want to end up is in the middle of nowhere. Um, you, you don't want to be like I firmly believe that you don't want to be priced the same exact way that everybody else is priced. It's a it is a boring thing about your business. Like, and and here's what I mean by that: no one ta- like the only way you can really grow your business is to have other people talk about it. And 
one way people can talk about your business is they go, okay, this price is so cheap. It's so ridiculous. The amount of value that I'm getting for what I'm paying and, and Walmart does that. And Walmart has a, like Walmart has other like issues, but like one of the reasons they're one of the biggest retailers in the world is that they're just the cheapest. And that's the only story that any customer that goes to Walmart tells other customers, you want something super cheap? They got everything and it's all a dollar. Like it's so cheap. Da, da, da. Dollar General has done this at scale. Right. It's crazy. And there's other people out there making pottery that could do it at that scale. And it's like, it is what it is. Right. But then you have like the generally accepted market price, which is sort of what you were talking about earlier with like, your shot glasses are cheaper than everybody else's shot glasses. And then you have like the generally accepted market price right above that. And it just like, you don't ever want to be the same as everybody else. Like the value for those shot glasses for the price they're paying is basically a wash, which means it's this, mo this idea is not going to get any sort of momentum. So what I would do and what we did with the barbecue restaurant that worked really well is that we really leaned into the craft side of what we did and everything was homemade. Everything was made from scratch. Everything was served by a small business owner, da, 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 all the things. And then we were, you know, 10 to 20% more expensive on all of our items because it was worth it. And then that story about the craftsmanship closed that value gap for people where they were like, I don't mind paying $10 for this thing where everybody else charges eight because at the end of the day, nobody cares about $2. They care about, did I get value from this? Does this make me right. feel good? Do I feel like I got ripped off? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm probably underestimating the value of somebody buying it online because they're, yeah. they're probably coming from my, my Instagram yeah. and they already know a lot of, they already have a lot of value invested mm -hmm. in what they're buying. And then the price just seems stupid, like you said, and it's cheap. So yeah. Well, honestly, I'm, it hurts your business. At the like, end of the day, that hurts your business. But like, people are going to come to your Etsy shop and they're going to say, "Oh, I thought this was like, I mean, it's just human be, nature. Like, we can't I help ourselves." I thought this was going to be forty dollars and thirty-five dollars. I'm getting I, a deal. Well, they're like comparing it too because they're going to they're going to do some comparison shopping. They're going to be like, "Oh, I I saw this is thirty and everybody else is at forty. I thought it was, I thought this was yeah. handcrafted. I thought this was hand. Yeah, that's you'd be. Uh, I can't wait for you that, to try that. Yeah, you got to let me know how I that goes. And I think that's something naturally that I sort of expected back in the day when I started selling, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to start here and I'm going to mm -hmm. grow over time and I'm going to increase the price to meet the demand. Yeah. So I think, yeah, some of that's going to factor in this year for sure. Like I'm raising all of the prices on a number of my items and yeah. I think that's fine. And, yeah. I'm, and I think, uh, I think that's a mistake that every, not that you're making a mistake, but that's just a lesson that every single person that owns a small business has to know like as i sit here and i think about like what is the next business i want to get into like do i want to run a marketing company do i want to do a like do i want to start a water bottle company like uh, you know who knows i'm in that ideation like total hobbyist yeah. phase right now i'm not a pro like you i'm still an amateur at all these ideas i'm not taking action i'm not doing all the things i need to be doing uh, right. other than having these great conversations with with entrepreneurs like yourself but like you got to figure out once you get into that business like what problem do you solve and then that problem is there a way to create enough value there like don't underprice the value you actually bring and all of us like when we first started with Lyle's barbecue our sandwiches were like four dollars and it was always on a homemade roll and like slow smoked pork it was four dollars like that was insane to get that good of a sandwich for four dollars and if you're out there and yeah. you're hearing that it's a four dollar sandwich and that's a problem like you don't know what you're talking about it'd be like me telling you like let me get a two dollar coffee mug please yeah, let me get a, a $10, or $15 coffee it. mug. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, Ryan, I appreciate you coming on the show today, man. Is there anything else that you want to tell any aspiring Etsy shop potters out there that we haven't covered yet? I don't think so. I think you got to realize that what you're doing is for the long term. It's mm -hmm. going to take a lot of slow growth. You're, it's not going to be noticeable, just like growing your Instagram or selling more stuff on Etsy. It's going to be little trickles here and there. You're going to get a sale. This You're going to get like one sale a week for sometimes. And, you know, at the holidays, it's going to ramp up and you're going to get like six to 10 sales and you're going to feel great. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to kind of snowball like you're saying. And uh, you just got to be kind of along for the long term and uh, be consistent. Love it. I love the theme of consistency through this podcast. I think, yeah. I think in my early days of owning a business, it wasn't good at it. Wasn't good at being consistent. And... Um, and to be frank with you, it's the one reason I haven't started another business right now is that I got to find something that I know I'll have the discipline to be consistent with. So Ryan, 
Thank you so much for coming on, man. This is awesome. Everybody here is going to get so much value out of this episode. I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks, Chandler. Appreciate it. (laughs) 